0: Guys, don't watch podcasts, you probably should start. And uh, if you do, and you're looking for an incredible new one to start listening to on a regular basis, there is an over 800 episode incredible show called The Behind the Shield. And I have with me the host of Behind the Shield, James Gearing. He is an individual who has been in our community for a long time. And if you aren't sure what I mean by community, I mean, I'm not talking military or fire or paramedic. I'm talking about somebody who is actively out there trying to better people's lives and actively out there trying to give tools for post-traumatic growth and to just move your life forward. So thanks for being with me, man.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I think, uh, like I said, we've been synergistically moving in parallel for quite a few years now. So uh, I'm honored to be on the other side of the microphone today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk all things about you, but first, before we get into everything uh, quickly, why don't you tell everyone who you are a little bit about your background and then I'm going to dive in afterwards.
1: Okay, beautiful. So yeah, I'm originally from England, grew up in a place called Bath near Stonehenge on a farm, a veterinary surgeon for a dad. So very, very simple farm life, you know, healing animals and herding sheep and going to school. Um, and then, uh, Life took me on a pretty interesting journey. I went into the world of stunts um, after being told I was colorblind. And I could never be a firefighter, which I wanted to do. Um, Cliff Notes version, I uh, go to Japan as a stuntman, meet an American girl, get married. And when I'm there, I have this epiphany at 26 years old that I can see colors and maybe I should challenge the, the system. Do so, name some colors in a doctor's office, and and then start my firefighting career, which was 2004, worked 14 years, got to a point about 10 years into my career where I started seeing the mental and physical ill health of what were once very resilient, fit individuals. And that took me on a path to start the podcast. Last place I worked, um, to put it politically correctly, was... Please don't. the most complacent place I've ever yeah. worked for in my life and had the resources to be one of the best fire departments. So after five years of making changes, I decided to transition out the fire service so I could advocate for them because I'm sure a lot of people listening, if you're still in wearing a uniform, it's very hard to be a, a true voice for your population. But when you are outside the wall, having done the job, I think it empowers you a lot more to advocate for others.
0: I like that you bring that up. It's interesting because I, I knowing a few firefighters, uh, and only a handful of them, but knowing of them, there is this constant conversation about things are broken in the system. And a lot of times it can come uh, directly from who your chief is. So the leadership down, obviously, it's like that in any other thing in life, that leadership, whatever's going on up there, if it's terrible, it will roll downhill. There's a saying in the military shit rolls downhill. I think that's kind of synonymous across all of the emergency platforms as well. But I've heard these conversations before where people want to stay in the positions they're in. They don't want to rock the boat. And if they do speak up against the uh, the norm, that is the norm in their station or the norm in their town, there's a chance they'll be moved or they'll lose their jobs or they'll be seen as somebody who's just making trouble.
1: What I've noticed is that some of the most you know, respected voices in a lot of these professions are not received well in their own fire department that is the irony. So, you know, there'll be people in other states, other countries that revere and not revere in a kind of idol worship, but, but just really want to hear what they've got to say and the truth they bring with them. But um, that phrase, I think it's, you know, the prophets not received in their own land that I've realized is a very, very big thing. There's, there's a lot of egos out there. I think it takes humility to really advocate for change. But if you are not humble, then you're going to be threatened by people that are trying to move the needle
0: is that where you think it comes from an ego based issue
1: i think it is i think um it's also there's a lot of people that climb promotional ladders that maybe haven't spent a lot of time in those positions so then when you have people who have really spent a lot of time boots on the ground you know questioning hey why don't we think about doing something differently if you've flown up the promotional ladder you have to have a pretty solid amount of humility to go, tell me more. You've been mm-hmm. there. I haven't. Let's have a discussion. If it's a fragile ego, then it's a threat. It's a it's a, the threat of revealing that you don't know as much as you should. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes a lot of people
0: push back. That's an interesting one. The fragile ego. Let's talk about that a little bit. You would think that in the fire department, the the ego would be almost I don't want to say beaten into submission, but there is this lifestyle in the fire department that is incredibly different than any other type of profession. You live with people, you cook for people, you you clean up after people, and this isn't at home. This is in the firehouse. So, can you walk me through walk me through a day? Or a week, yeah, walk me through a day and then a week of what it looks like, because I think the the ego plays in a lot here. And if you are not able to step back and put your ego in its place, the fire department's going to be a really hard place for you to to work in long term.
1: something that I realized, and you know we're all guilty of it. That's the thing when I was a wide-eyed fire recruit, I wasn't aware of you know all these things leadership and mental health and you know tactical fitness. I mean, I knew I had to run and and be in shape. But then you go in for the fire service. I I had the fortune, in my opinion, good fortune of working for four different departments. I worked on the East Coast and the West Coast, arguably one of the best in the country and one of the worst. So got a very kind of gypsies view of of the entire profession. Um, but right when you walk through the door at the firefighter level, we believe a lot of our own myths. Mm. Um, you know, there is that hero complex, and it's not cerebral. It's definitely subconscious, but there is that, you know, I'm I'm indestructible. I'm going to be there. Nothing's going to shake me. Um, but then even with the, I talk about this a lot recently, the work week. So if you hear a firefighter talking about their schedule, it's like, yeah, I work one day on, two days off, or I work just you know 10 days a month. And people are like, oh my God, I want to be a firefighter. That sounds amazing. But then you unpack it. And this is like actual work nearly the whole time. It's a 24 hour shift. Now, a civilian workday is nine hours with a one hour lunch or, you know, 30 minutes and two fifteens whatever it is. So it's an eight hour day usually. So it's three days mushed together is what they work. So it's three days on, one day off or 30 days a month. So to be fair on the upper echelon, even at the front door, a lot of us believe our own mythology. But then as you start rising the ranks, there is that sense of, well, we did it, so you should do it too. Mm. You know, it's the way we've always done it. And then you get that shift from operations to behind a desk. And now I think there's a disconnect again. And the people that are pushing papers forget some of them have flown up so quickly, they were barely even there. What it's like to work decades, being awake for 24 hours every third day especially in these busy suburban and urban departments, I mean, you're, you, you may lay down, but you're not getting sleep. You're not getting, you know, deep nurturing sleep where you process mental trauma and your muscles that you've been training all day, have the ability to repair and recover and your hormones regulate. So it's, it's at every single level. And then if you go all the way to the top cities and counties, the the bean counters, now you have, I mean, it's, it's nauseating, but people still think that firefighters sit around playing cards, smoking cigars, and petting Dalmatians waiting for a fire. And in 2023, we're so bad at branding that people will say, well, why is there a fire engine at my medical call? Well, we've Mm -hmm. been doing EMS for 50 plus years in this country. So that shows you how bad we are at storytelling. So I think that we believe our own myths. We've done nothing to really educate the people on what we do. And then we allow... These bureaucrats at the top to say, well, they don't need a raise. They just sit around playing cards. Whereas I always say, well, stand in stand in any city center. Do you hear sirens? Of course you do, because they're running all fucking day and all fucking night. So, yes, there are some quiet stations in America, you know, but you don't advocate for for that. You advocate for the ones that are getting murdered every every shift. And if someone else has it a little better because they're in some small town, well, good for them. They're still there waiting for that school shooting or that plane to land into a church or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, yeah, so the, so there's so many levels. And I think this is what it's so hard. And then you add the fragmented element of the fire service, even though, and I've heard you talk about this a lot, the Canadian military may not be perfect. At least it is all under one tent. The mm-hmm. American fire service, every city, every county, you know, literally invents the wheel from the ground up. And if there's ego problems, they won't talk to each other. Police and fire won't talk. City and county won't talk. And I've had calls standing literally on a road and the dotted line on the road separates the county where I work for and the city of Orlando with a fire in an electrical unit next to a trailer park that is going to go up any moment. And I'm arguing with the dispatcher just send me the city unit, but they're like, oh, but we can't, you know what I mean? And it's it's that kind of thing too. So this is why it's so hard to unpack, but you've just got to, you got to start, you got to pick things because, you know, fire stations are getting closed down and, and we're struggling to hire now. And, um, you know, firefighters, we're losing, we're burying them, you know, every single day, you know, first responders are dying. So it's a huge, huge issue. But if you just brush it under the rug and lean into that, can of, like I said, that hero mentality, then one day it's going to collapse like a house of cars and we're not going to have any firefighters anymore.
0: When you bring up the, you see fire show up at a car accident or an incident in Canada in particular, in British Columbia, where I live, we are seeing staggering rates right now of people drop out of the paramedic service. Like, I mean, out of control, not enough ambulances, not enough paramedics, not enough decompression, not enough treatment, nothing, absolutely nothing. And we're seeing the firefighters pick up the slack on this. And I'm seeing more firefighters at car accidents and incidents than I'm seeing ambulances because we just do not have the people to do the job. So all of this weight is falling down on these fire departments. And I always wonder because this is an area where I, I am very over my skis. It is not a, a Uh, part of the service that i understand well that i i know a lot of people in it is a part of the service that i feel like frankly from society is very overlooked if you look at police i'm talking maybe not federal police maybe looking at provincial and town your cities um these these police departments these paramedics these firefighters it is incredibly overlooked. I mean, broad brush right over top. That's just the service, but the service is the ones that are stopping the things from happening. Yep. They're the ones getting the least amount of support. And I don't know how you change that. I don't know how you look at this in a grand scale and go, these are the people that are stopping your schools from burning down your homes from burning down. These are the people who are showing up and the paramedics, put you on hold. These are the people, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you fix this problem because it feels from the outside and again brush you know broad strokes here it feels like money fixes a lot of these problems it feels like funding and resources and tools fix a lot of these issues now I don't know if that's accurate but I do wonder if you could pick a a particular issue within the fire department that you would tackle and you could see that being one of the reasons that there is longevity with these firefighters what would that be and what would you tell people listening to do to try and implement those changes and brought to you by mindful meds you guys have been seeing me take mindful meds for a little while now mindful meds is a premium supplement company dedicated to supplying humans with the tools to improve their mental health clarity and performance all while supporting their growth along the way whether it's the immunity blend lion's mane inspire or voyage all of their products are clean tested consistent and they've become a huge help in my life I found Mindful Meds over a year ago now, and I've never looked back. Go check out their website, mindfulmeds.io, and use the code BRASS at checkout.
1: Well, firstly, a lot of firefighters in America, and I think, I think certainly parts of the Canadian provinces too, are both firefighters and paramedics. So we go to right. all the things. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. If it doesn't involve locking someone up, we're in. You know, an yeah. alligator walking around with a woman in its jaws, or you know, you name it. That's that we're getting that phone call, as well as animal control in that particular uh, situation. But it is money. But the problem is, it's progressive leadership that understands economics. When I was young, I just came out of school. High school was uh, 16 in England. I went to community college and did a economics class. Originally on route to a guy that I don't even know what I was trying to be back then, but. <laughs> um, and I remember the term false economy. And that's Ooh. when you perfect example, your child wants some a toy, and you go, ah, just go to the dollar store and you buy a toy and two days later it's already broken. It was cheaper, but it's gonna cost a lot more because you're gonna have to buy a hundred of those toys if your kid plays for a whole year. So what I see is there's a complete lack of understanding for investing in your people. And the fire service will say, someone said, well, yeah, we've got to run it like a business. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, my kind of comeback is like, okay, well that's, that's all well and good, but why are we running it like an e, uh, Indonesian sweatshop instead of <laughs> Google or Virgin? You know oh what I mean? Gosh. If we're going to model a, a business then model a progressive business and right. the corporate space is coming out saying, we just realized if we do four day weeks, they're actually getting the same work done. Sometimes more. You know, because life doesn't have to be all about the work, you know, the grind of the work. Our American firefighters are working 56 hours a week. So 24 hours straight, basically without sleep, there's a 48 hour period and then boom, and it's just, it's unending. Some have what they call the Kelly day. Every three weeks, you might get a shift off, but, and yet the people that work in the bank, the bag, your groceries, you know, whatever it is, and I'm not being talking ill about those professions but ones Mm -hmm. that don't involve saving lives at the drop of a hat they you know their cap is 40 hours usually and so what is happening is we're breaking our first responders in every way you can because if you look at the physiology of sleep deprivation it destroys everything mental health physical health you know weight gain heart disease cancer autoimmune disease you name it if we're not sleeping we get it which is why mammals sleep so understanding but firstly, I wish it was coming from a place of love. My mm-hmm. people are not doing well. I'm going to advocate to get them more rest and recovery. That's what should happen from a kind human being. But let's put that a second aside for a second, and it's someone that doesn't really concern themselves with the welfare of their people. So financially, if you look at actually the ripple effect of breaking your workforce, the workman's comp claims the overtime coverage of those vacant positions the uh, medical retirements the wrongful uh, whatever lawsuits you know when we make mistakes because we're so tired we're bleeding so much money so the irony is the money is there mm-hmm. the problem is you're asking a person who calls himself a leader to look bad in a budget year now mm-hmm. they'll look like rock stars 5 10 years from now but you're saying, I need you to go and ask for some more money so we can get another shift. So now they'll work 24 hours. We'll give them 72 hours before they come back. Now they have a full 24 hours where they haven't just got off work. Because when the firefighter goes home, people, even we don't give ourselves credit. When we go home at 8 a.m., we've worked eight hours from midnight to 8 a.m. So, we're, oh, it's my day off. It's not your day off. You just finished a full day and then you go home. Um so this would give them an extra one. So that would bring it down to a 42 hour work week. And I'm not, I think I'm pretty sure in Canada, there's an element of that, or it's the tens, you know, 14s, which is also terrible. I mean, look at police, places, look at police officers and nurses, you know, when you work those split rotating shifts, I mean, you don't walk into an ER and see a bunch of felt nurses running around looking like they could compete at any moment. It breaks no. them down as well. So It is about money, but it's about managing that money to the point where rather than bleeding on the back end, you invest in the front end, like Google, like Virgin, in your people, and therefore productivity, morale, and most importantly, physical and mental health. You have a person who has a long, healthy career, and then after 20, 30 years of service, they have the ability to enjoy a few decades of retirement.
0: Talk to me about sleep deprivation. Uh, This is something if you are a regular listener of ours, you know that a lot of people that have been on this show, sleep deprivation is a part of their life, whether it was when they served or now or in their new professions, but the long-term damages of sleep deprivation on the nervous system, on the hormone system, on, on quite literally your entire existence and doing these split shifts. I want to understand a little bit because it would seem like, in my opinion, doing split shifts, whether it's 10s or 14s or, or doing the 24 hour, it would seem like there's got to be a better way to formulate a schedule for these people so that they're not constantly sleep deprived. Because we understand, I mean, for God's sake, it was like one of the most known things we used to do in the service when we got a terrorist, we sleeped up you. And we do it in training. We do it prior to deployment. We sleep, fuck you. We literally go, you're not sleeping for X amount of days, and we're going to see how you react to it. Most of the time, you kind of lose your marbles a little bit because sleep deprivation is acceptable when you're getting ready for war, but it should not be acceptable when you are doing a job in North America. And you are doing it for pennies on the dollar. So talk to me about sleep deprivation, these split shifts and how this affects everything from your hormones to your life, your family unit.
1: So I'll precursor that or, or preview that with a conversation I just had with Seb Lavoie. I don't know if he's been on your show before. Seb
0: Lavoie. He's Seb a Lavoie Canadian Se-
1: policeman. He's, you should, he, he's an amazing guy. Seb, Did a full career. Like Seb,
0: RCMP. Yeah. Seb's a very yes. good friend of mine.
1: There we go. So I was- I'm like uh, Seb,
0: yeah, I know Seb.
1: Yeah, actually, well, it wasn't Seb I was talking to. I just did a complete random tangent. Seb is amazing, but it wasn't him yeah. thinking about it. It was uh, another friend of mine who's a Marine Recon um, mm. veteran, but also a, their human performance guru. Okay. And um, Z, that's what I was thinking. Um, Miguel, we were talking because I'm about to participate in a collation of research by a really well-respected research organization because we've lost so many people locally to suicide. A local mm. businessman actually funded this this study. Um, And just by twist of fate, we happen to have one of the most revered research human performance and robotics organizations in my town. It's it's crazy. So anyway, he's on this panel, I'm on this panel. And he was asking me about what you're saying. And I said, Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, figures out there that you'll hear people say, Well, you know, one night without sleep is like a blood alcohol of point one. And I told him, Yeah, and that's true. But if you think about most research, who who are normally the subjects? More often than not, if it's something that doesn't involve a specific disease process, it's college students that may party a little bit, but spend every night in their bed. So here's what's terrifying. That's one night without sleep. Imagine every third day for 10, 20, 30 years. And so he was asking about research. I'm like, we don't have research in this. And again, I think partly it's no one wants to open Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. and the fact that it's clearly obvious what the problem is and you know the, the reality is you don't need any fucking research it's right in front of your face but anyway I digress <laughs> um but he's so we were talking about and he's like I've just realized if you presented a study on how firefighters actually work to a research organization they would not be able to do it ethically right that's the mic drop moment you know what I mean now, the the impact is everything. And so when you have, for example, the the kind of looking down the nose at the fat police officer, some should never have been hired. So let's take them out of the equation completely. But that's let's a say conversation. It, was, it is, it is. But let's say it's, you know, the drill ground full of resilient, fit men and women, day one of the police service. And then you put in those shifts and the same with the fire service, same with dispatchers even, you know, I mean, there's that's a group that's forgotten about a lot, but Physically, let's talk they're about a, police and
0: fire. They're a great additive. They're a complete, like, I, they do not just side tangent. The responders, I have a client of mine who used to be an mm one dispatch operator. When, just one second here, when did we stop, realizing that these people pick up the phone and sometimes on the end of the phone is a child going somebody's in my home and killing my parent when did we not look at these people and go they need the amount of of support networks and financial resources as a military member as a firefighter who responded to the dead body like i've heard recently very little information about their support networks and their systems in place to prevent burnout. If anything, I hear people do it for no more than five years and they absolutely leave just destroyed and have to go into a completely different profession, completely different. And I never hear people talk about these people like ever.
1: No, I had, um, Beth Bauer socks on. She was one of the dispatchers for the paradise fire. The one that, you know, burned an entire California city to the ground. Numerous people died. And she would have this, you know, begging, please help me, help me. And then it would just go silent. Yeah. The big thing with the dispatch community, firstly, with sleep deprivation, circadian rhythm, you know, you hear people, oh, when you wake up first, you know, look at the sun for 15 minutes and all that stuff. Well, that's resetting your circadian rhythm. You would naturally do that if you weren't in 2023 or hundred years ago, you wake up and it would be, you know, the sun would be rising. Well, they go to work more often than not, especially in winter when it's dark. They literally sit in a cave for 12 hours because of all the screens and everything. They can't have, you know, beautiful giant glass windows or anything. And then when they leave, it's dark. And the same, you know, we could argue the same in hospitals. It's it's fluorescent light, but a lot of these doctors and nurses don't really see real daylight. So then the dispatcher answers a 911 call. Someone's trying to kill my mommy Mm
0: -hmm. or,
1: you know, daddy's blue floating in the pool, whatever it is. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then when we get the call, we jump on the rig, we go to the call, we pull daddy out of the pool, we work CPR, or we go, you know, pull the ladders off and we fight the fire or we cut the car. And then we go back. And even though we've seen some horrible shit that the dispatcher hasn't seen, we had a physical release. So that whole running from the bear, we got to run from the bear. The dispatcher just sat there. So they're having all these adrenal responses and these stress responses with no way of actually offloading it. And that is, Mm -hmm. I think, another huge part of why that population needs to be considered in this conversation as well.
0: Absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought them up. I don't hear enough conversations. I've heard them on your show before, but yours has got to be one of the only ones I've heard talk about openly about dispatchers and about the complications around that, because The reality is you call the dispatcher and they're the first one to pick up the phone. They're the ones that hear the really, really horrible things a lot of times. And I've never heard of dispatch support groups or networks or social medias or podcasts, or I just don't hear about this. I don't know if it's because there's not enough of them, if that this is kind of like the, the prior conversation to things like ptsd where it was like hush hush we don't talk about it we just kind of leave it alone because like you said if you open this box what happens when we start to look at these professions that are like you said you can't even do research on them because it's so unethical to literally provide the study because you would have to put people through which is things that we aren't legally normally allowed to do to people but yet we're quite all right with doing that to them on a day-to-day basis as it is their profession
1: and we do it to the people that we're asking to go from a dead sleep, if they have the opportunity to to sleep for a few minutes, to get up, slide down, you know, a two-story pole, 20 seconds after waking up, jump in the back of a, a rig like I did in California, steer the back with the engineer driving, navigate that vehicle to that point, pull up on scene, assess, okay, you know, now... You make an entry, you find someone, you drag them out. Well, you're a firefighter and a paramedic. You might have to then doff your gear and then do the mental math for the drug calculations for whatever code, PD code that you're faced with. Now you drive them to the hospital and you still, you know, these life saving interventions. You know what I mean? Those are the ones that we're fine working 56. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. It's more, now more than ever because there is a hiring crisis. And I think and we can get into that too. Why? But mm-hmm. 56 hours, you get to 7, 7.30 in the morning, you know, and it I'm not being dramatic. Sometimes it is your child's birthday the next day, Christmas, you know, you name it. And you get a phone call. We're short-staffed. You can't go home. Now you, you have to work another 24 hours. So now you're talking about 80 hours, double a civilian work week for the people that you are wanting to perform at their absolute best to save your loved one when you pick up the phone and call 911. So every perspective that you look at it is pure insanity. But like you said, it's just, a, well, yeah, they signed up for it mentality. Well, that's just all well and good until one day they don't show up. There's no dispatchers to answer the phone. There's no one showing up because you allow people to shut the last two fire stations by your house. And now the response is 40 minutes from the neighboring town, you know, so and I'm, it sounds dramatic, but it's literally where we are now.
0: It's really not that dramatic, in my opinion. But maybe it's because I've seen enough of this community to know how much of what you just stated was the mm-hmm. non dramatic version, that is just a standard reality on an everyday basis. How do you change these things? I know it's finances, and I get it. But if, if the chief at the top of the department is unwilling to speak up on behalf of those within the department, how do you make the change how do you change the laws how do you lobby what can you do or what can listeners do because frankly the way you make it sound there isn't a whole lot that can be done unless the actual leadership on the ground is willing to take take the leadership and and utilize their ability to to lobby congress to lobby the town to say we need more money and we need more time off and then realistically how likely is that actually to happen that they're going to go, okay, you know what? You can't actually work 80 hours a week because the shortages are so significant.
1: Well, firstly, we have a union, and I I mm. think it's separate in Canada. I think there's a okay. Canadian branch to it or something. I'm not fully educated, but I paid my whole 14 years. That is where it should have happened. I'm should've. pretty sure the the work week is the basal thing of of a of a union and workers' union. So we'll just move that to a side because it hasn't. Um the way I discuss the podcast is I want people to be educated and angry. Right. To expect legislation to magically happen for your profession is ex- is like expecting Joe Biden or Donald Trump to fix your country. Right. Firstly, you had no power and whether they got there in the first place, you're like, how the fuck did either of these two idiots get there, but they're here. Mm-hmm. So the system's already fucked. And then you're going to turn to that one individual that clearly in those two cases are not too not too Christ-like, let's put it that way. I don't think altruism is burning at the heart of either of those two gentlemen. No, so-
0: but you also, you know, I'll take it a step further. At least you guys didn't do a standing ovation for an active SS Nazi in your parliament. Well,
1: this is the point, and this is the the system is broken. You know, in in the mm-hmm. UK and in, in New Zealand, which I was extremely disappointed about, because I had a kind of more of a leaning towards that they're one of the better ones, and then we had that one eighty, but 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 this is the point expecting these people that are telling you they are leaders you haven't seen it you're being told that's your leader to fix anything in the world is where we keep screwing up you know we are the base of the pyramid so educating the fire service on how far from human performance we actually are which is what's going to be great about this the study is it's not a study it's a collation from the military from the sporting organizations, from nasa from because they work with all those to be like okay here's human performance here's here's what lebron james does and here's what you fucking lunatics are doing over here Mm -hmm. lebron james puts a ball into a hole and you save lives so that is really what it is is showing the problem showing the solution because the solution is easy you just give them more rest and recovery you can't not be awake during the night to respond to emergencies and this is what we this is what we signed up for all right you go to bed I'll, i got the watch i'll stay up you know if anything happens we got it but if you're going to ask someone to do that at the minimum it should be a 40 hour week i would argue even less if you really look at it i want these people to be at the top of their game so this is the thing is educating them on all the negative sides not only chronically but acutely how many times do you hear of a fire engine or a Police car plowing into a family in an intersection. Well, are they bad drivers or they literally have a micro sleep because they're so exhausted? How many times is a police officer, not the black and white, you know, clearly mm. this was wrong or clearly this was right, but the gray area ones, how many times have they said, Well, how when did you last sleep? How, have you been forced to work extra shifts? I know they reach for that, you know, the driving license, but at that person when you're sleep deprived, you know, yeah. and as you said, you start hallucinating in In that split second. He's reaching for a gun. He wasn't. But is right. that the officer's fault? You mm-hmm. know, or is it the environment that he works in Then add lack of training, other stuff? Now you've made a perfect storm for some horrendous mistakes. So this is it is the education piece getting past, you know, oh, sleep deprivation is an issue. I worked for a place, the last place, and they paid a local sporting performance place to do fitness classes and one woman gave a, a a talk on sleep and then she walked out yeah you're you you need more sleep and that was it no Great. solutions you know and it's the same with me like with the mental health conversation yeah we need to remove the stigma
0: I don't and, I don't think that's, you know? I, I don't I you know that's something I want to I want to address and maybe maybe you'll agree maybe you won't maybe it'll resonate I don't think the stigma is the issue I think the stigma's long gone I think that there's always going to be a subset of the population that may be a little bit older that sit in that stigma conversation, if you will, maybe the, you know, the firefighter that's now in his fifties and the sixties, or even his late forties or the paramedic or the military member. But I, maybe it's because of the community I'm in where it's just constantly in the conversation. I don't feel like the stigma is the problem. I feel like undiagnosed traumatic brain injuries. I feel like undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, hormone issues. I think there is a larger conversation here and it is not the stigma. I think that it is the, the stigma was how it started, but it is not that anymore. And the fact that we keep leaning on that it's the stigma, oh, the stigma is the reason why the, the, the 44 suicides a day. Well, that's just in America, first off. And the, the idea that we can't, we can't heal our community because the stigma is so large or a mental health day or m- our suicide prevention month. These are all social media days that are brought up to bring awareness to something that we're all chronically aware of. And in most of the time it's in the forefront of our mind and it's right in front of us every waking minute of every day, because after COVID, I have never seen. Hey humans. I know you've all been seeing me drink HVMN's ketone IQ lately. This is a game changer. Jet fuel in a bottle. I use Ketone IQ for everything in my life, whether it's running, cycling, podcasting, or just the extra boost that my brain needs. I won't lie, it helps push me to the next level in all things. I love Ketone IQ and what HVMN stands for. Go grab some shots today at HVMN.com and use the code BRASS20 and save. Anything like it. I have never seen this many people struggle with mental health at the pace that they are. And you can't sit there and say, well, it's the stigma. If it was pre-COVID, okay, maybe we're still talking a little bit about mental health stigma, but I'm not I'm not saying that's coming from um, the first responder community or the or military community. But now after COVID, post-COVID, you're talking about the entire globe, this entire rock that we are floating on in this galaxy, this stigma does not exist anymore. We are all incredibly and culturally aware that there is a mental health epidemic unlike anything we have ever seen. That's not the problem. It's just not. And anybody who says, well, it's the stigma. No, 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 it's not. It's the ability to fix the problem. It's the financial implications that come along with the stigma, if you will, because most of these professions, if you speak up and say, I am struggling with X, Y, or Z, you are now off to the side and you're no longer deployable. You're no longer can work on the force. You can no longer carry a gun. And now you've not only let yourself down, right? I'm using bunny quotes here if you're not watching. But you've also now let down your team because you're not there to pick up the slack that you've just left those other people because of your mental health issues to pick up. So yes, it's stigma, sure. If we want to keep leaning on that, then we're going to run into these problems for the rest of our lives. But we need to get outside that. It's not the stigma. It's the ability to fix the problem and the constant pushing of over pharmaceutical medications to make people not be able to even have the clearance or jobs or guns to do the profession they need to do. I just, the stigma shit drives me nuts. I'm done with that. We all know about it. Why aren't we fixing it? We don't fix it. Because if we fixed it, then we wouldn't, if we fixed it, then people wouldn't make money off of us. That's just what it feels like. And maybe I'm overthinking it or I'm underthinking it or I don't have the master's degree or doctorate to say that, but I feel like a decade and a half in this space, I feel like I have a little bit of an understanding here to say that this shit is not the stigma anymore. This is the fucking inability to fix the problem or the want to fix the problem or the individual is unable to fix the problem because they don't have the finances to take time off on the job or they're afraid they'll lose their goddamn jobs. Sorry. No, no,
1: it's it's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna add on to that with a a kind of analogy because I agree completely. It's stigma is box checking. Call me the phone number, you know, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. When you decided to start cycling, Mm -hmm. firstly, how did you find the people that you were going to use to program and train with and all that kind of thing?
0: How did I? Mm -hmm. I just I just started reaching out to people. I just started saying, hey, I want to do this. How do I do this? That's it.
1: And then they helped you and then yeah. you got a bike. And was yeah. the, the goal that one day, you know, you're going to get to a speed of seven miles an hour and, and get to the finish line eventually? Or were you like, if I keep training, I'm going to get better and better and better. And I'm going to be a really good cyclist.
0: It's a bit, you know, it's twofold. I, I see really far into the future and activities that I try to pursue to make sure that there's a goal at the end. But then I also am very aware that it takes training and it takes steps and tools. And there is, there is uh, there's levels to this shit, just like there is anything else. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't great at it when I started. I'm not saying I'm perfect now, but I'm definitely a lot better than I was when I was 2017.
1: But you could see the end point, which was mm. so much better than you were when you started, and Absolutely. it was an easy journey to get equipment, resources, programming, all that stuff from A to B.
0: I think it was definitely. I wouldn't say easy. I think the I think for me in particular, that's a, it's a harder, I'm I'm not trying to lie here. So it's a little bit different for me. Um, the bikes I have are more expensive. The people I went to, the people I had access to might not be what a traditional person has access to, access to just because of the profession my husband was in. So take that aside from it. If I were somebody that wanted to get a bike and start off, yes, that's normally quite accessible. If I wanted to go to somebody in the community or the cycling community and say, Hey, I want to, I want to improve my, uh, my VO 2 Like I want to improve my pulse ox. I want to improve where do I train? There's a million different forums and a million different people and a million different resources to get better at cycling on a fucking bicycle.
1: And not one person told you, well, you know, we can't get you fast, but we can get you to where you won't fall off.
0: No, there's never been that that conversation.
1: Well, that's what the mental health conversation is right now to use that as an analogy. So Mm -hmm. there are so many barriers to entry. for people getting real help, whether it's financial, whether it's our back ass prohibition laws, you know, where we've got people fighting for our nation and have to go to Mexico to get the treatment for it. Yeah. But then, you know, it's also, there's no conversation of post-traumatic growth. Yeah. I truly believe, and of course there are exceptions to every rule, but if you can find the right combination of tools that will work for you, from EMDR to psychedelics, to equine therapy, to, you know, whatever it is mm-hmm. that your fractures in your foundation will become resilience and strength. They'll become a superpower. A thousand percent. But there isn't that message of hope. I don't see that message of hope, that message of post-traumatic growth. So we got a stigma and then we went, all right, well, that's done, you right. know, and it's not. We, we, we opened the door like the fire service and we went, well, that's a shit show. I unlocked the door. All right, I'll see you later. Yeah. No one fixed it. They told me, you need, you guys need sleep. And then they walked away. So this is the thing, is the courage to walk through that door mm. and say, okay, what is working? What is not working? You know, show me the smorgasbord of things that some people have had success with. Let's create access to all of these. Let's address what's causing a lot of these. So let's look mm. at society, childhood trauma you know, all these other things that are creating soldiers and firefighters that end up sitting, crying with a gun in their mouth 10 years later. We don't talk about the childhood trauma element. It's a multifaceted approach. And it's the same with the school shootings. Well, Let's just take away the guns. It didn't work in England, you know. Now, I'm not saying that taking away the guns wouldn't help because it fucking would. You know, if you can't go into a store and and just play with a 50 cal, well, it's for home defense. No, it's not for fucking home defense. It's a 50 cal.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because that works to an extent. And of course, when you're talking about maybe America and access to an access to weapons that are just are, are military grade 50 cows, like I've been down to black rifle. They have 50 cows everywhere. They have many guns on Tesla's, you know, these weapons are normally, if you go to Canada, like you, there's no chance in hell, but I am going to push back on that a little bit because I'm going to give you a scenario as to why I believe that is not the answer. Whatever, well, no,
1: think- just just to interject quickly, I'll, I'll listen to yeah. yours, but I'm saying yeah. that's not the answer. Correct. It's a multifaceted approach. But the only thing that happens when these god-awful tragedies happen and you know, they're sticking microphones in parents' faces, oh, your kid yeah. was killed. How do you feel? Is that they'll they'll separate like a World War II, uh excuse me, World War One Flanders Fields? Are mm-hmm. you pro-gun? Are you anti-gun? Mm-hmm. They won't talk about psychic, you know, psychiatric meds, childhood abuse. You know, video games, you know, the the conditioning you get, operant condition you get from playing video games, sleep deprivation, bullying, all these things that create this perfect storm. So is our guns an issue? Absolutely, they're an issue, but they're only, you know, a piece of the pie. And if we don't have that whole conversation, two camps, pro and anti guns form, Mm -hmm. they argue with each other, fucking nothing gets fixed. And 30 years after Columbine, we're still having children murdered in our school.
0: Right. I think, and this is where the reason I'm going to push back. And then I want to go into the childhood trauma and all the basic levels uh, of issues that come into like a a school shooter. So the thing that's most fascinating is we kind of have this, we had that experiment happen in Australia, right? Where they took all of the guns from everyone. And they're like, we're not having guns. There's guns in Australia. You can get guns in Australia because bad people know how to get guns. It doesn't matter if you take the guns away. The majority of the issues come from aftermarket guns. We know that in Canada, this is what mm-hmm. happens. Guns are on the out. We are, they are working desperately and, and, and horrifically. So to get guns out of the hands of hunters and everybody else. Well, this is what happens. The RCMP come out and state, well, over the past amount of shootings that we have seen, not a single one of these have been legal registered gun owners because it does not matter if you take the guns because people are going to find a way to kill people. And you know how I know that? Because last year in Alberta and multiple provinces, People took out knives. A couple months ago on the streets of Vancouver, a dad standing in front of a Starbucks with his daughter got stabbed in the fucking neck for asking a guy to not blow smoke from his vape onto his daughter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter- what it is. If somebody wants to cause mass harm, they will take a fucking pipe bomb and they will set it outside of a school. They will take a knife and they will go close to you and they will stab the living shit out of you and they will go province to province and they will do it. And they will do it with any means necessary. Guns are not the fucking problem.
1: Well, if we're talking blanket though, I'm saying the middle ground is because I have a gun. Like I, after witnessing a near school shooting in my son's school, when I brought him back from medical appointment, and right. I had f- guns growing up. I grew up on a farm in England. We had guns. Right. The thing is, like Florida, we just got rid of any training for concealed permit.
0: That's terrible. Me, that's like, a what ridiculous are you doing? backwards.
1: You don't need a you know to go into a Gander Mountain, right? And be able to play with, like you said, military grade weapons. But there are, you know, there are. Applications of each of these, but it should come with a level of responsibility training, etc. So I'm not right now. We're such a shit show. Taking guns away from the good people would be suicide in America. It just won't happen. There needs to be a middle of the road. Every time there's two camps, the middle is where the truth is, and the truth is, add more training and restriction to certain guns. Yes, allow people to have guns. Yes, and this is the problem: is that middle common sense never gets a voice. Just like every other fucking thing, COVID and policing and everything else because two extremist groups get all their mouthpieces and meanwhile our children are being executed in our schools because fucking nothing has changed
0: well no and it won't change and here's why because you, you've got this goes back to the mental health epidemic let's look at the last shooting in america without diving into the very very um, nitty-gritty specifics you had an individual that was mentally unwell we knew about this this individual was very much in the How do we? I I don't know all of the letters, and I refuse to learn them. I I I'm not learning them. I'm not learning because they change every week. So you have the
1: genders and everything,
0: the L G B T plus fucking whatever. So here's the thing that changes every week, and the fact that we ask our my prime minister can't even say it accurately. So don't even get on my case about it. Look. You have people who are mentally unwell because you have a society that is really, really sick. I'm talking about individuals who are sick because their parents can't get a job because they refuse to get on back. They refuse to get vaccinated. So they lose their jobs. They lose their homes. Their kids are struggling. And then they're in this epidemic of mental health crises because their parents literally don't know how to cope so then they take it out on their children or they expose their children to these problems that are adult level problems you have schools out there that are quite literally warping minds of young children and going this is a new ideology because 0.1 of our population says so and they're talking heads we have an epidemic of mental health that spreads the fucking gamut from a to z Pick your fucking poison. It does not matter if you are gay or straight or trans or whatever the fuck it is. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian. You all are struggling. You all are struggling because the governments have made it so that you struggle. Inflama- inflammation. Huh. Inflation is through the goddamn roof. No one can afford their homes. No one can afford groceries. Everyone's fearful to send their cool their kids to school because the parents have no control. They can literally transition your child without permission they're doing everything they can to make it so that your parental rights are not valid that they do not matter and you have parents who literally can't lift their heads up because their mortgages are so goddamn high because we are giving billions to another country in a goddamn proxy war that literally is going to end in the worst possible way possible but it's okay because we're saving people over there Get your head out of the gutter. This country, North America, is last. We are put last every step of the way, whether it's your finances, whether it's your homes, whether it's your children. Your mental health is at a point, a break point here. It just is. And it's because you can't pay your bills and you can't feed your fucking kids. And how do we expect these parents who just do everyday jobs, who literally have nothing else to give. How do we expect them to look up and go, I should care about Ukraine and I should care about the world and I should care about these rights. We don't have the mental capacity and we are breaking down, whether it's firefighters or paramedics or doctors or fucking CEOs, we are breaking the human body down and we expect it to keep acting like nothing else is going on. Like it's the seventies again. It's not. There are a multitude of issues that are causing a mental health epidemic and we don't look at childhood trauma when we bring people into service and into policing. We don't look at these issues until it's already after a war or already after a school shooting and we go, yeah, we think this PTSD comes from the shooting. Well, did you know that that child was raped by the fucking church and maybe there's some issues there? Did we not look at this? Do we not have a correlation and go, there are problems prior to service? that we are not acknowledging and we're not willing to fix until all of a sudden something sets them off and now it's the problem of the service. No, it's been the problem. It's been the fucking problem for 30 and 40 years, but nobody wants to look at those things. We don't want to look at the gross. We don't want to look at the stuff behind the behind the curtain. We don't want to acknowledge that bad things happen before you even get into the service when you're 19 and 20 years old and you're already damaged beyond all get out. There are fucking problems here in North America and we're constantly putting ourselves last and we're constantly saying that the left is right and the right is wrong and that 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 The problem is we don't care about each other anymore, James. We don't care about the person to the left and right of you. We don't care about our neighbors. Most of us don't even know our neighbors. Most of us don't even know their kids. And we don't even know what's going on in their homes enough to go, hey, man, are you okay? Are you struggling? What the fuck is going on? Because I heard you screaming the other day over over nothing. And we don't interject either. And we don't. Oh, we don't want to interfere. We don't want to interfere. We don't want to bother them. Don't bother them. Don't, don't, because we don't want them to feel shameful. None of this is shameful. We tell everyone it's fucking shameful. And then that's why no one talks about it. You talk about Vietnam being the issue. Well, everyone drank and everyone, no one spoke about it. Or World War II vets. But they never spoke about it. Why would you talk about this shit? Look at the looks you get. You're a broken human to the government when you admit your problems. You're a broken human to society when you say that you're struggling with things. It is a global problem and i don't know how you fix it because it is not a fucking stigma issue it's an accountability problem and a leadership issue if at any at, at any point our parents don't parent if you're a good parent you're exhausted you know that like that's the difference the hallmark of a parent being a good parent in my opinion is if you're exhausted or not because if you're not exhausted you're not parenting
1: i must be an amazing parent you've got to be <laughs> i'm so
0: tired just so exhausted all the time so to
1: go back to what you said because i i agree i agree when you look at gang membership addiction prostitution homelessness etc etc they're all mental health issues and i always say think about a preschool full of children of all colors and creeds some will will end up you know becoming this gender or, or this sexuality whatever it is but they're little blank canvases of joy running around you know chasing balls and and laughing and you know looking at balloons and all the things that we did when we were 2 years old and then life happens so we have the potential for being incredibly kind compassionate you know human beings but one of the biggest eye openers to me is when i started doing you know the the early life stuff which was pretty much in the beginning but it was kind of by accident and then i had Learned, you know, saw some things about childhood trauma. And then I started being a little bit more courageous and and opening doors. Never, ever, ever pushing someone into it, but opening doors of specific areas. Like you talked about, you know, rough childhood. Do you want to expand more? You talk about the World War II generation. I bought into the facade. Greatest generation in the world. Came back to ticker tape parades. You know, they rolled up their sleeves and they rebuilt America. Actually, more often than not, granddad was a drunk and he was a domestic abuser. And all these things because mm-hmm. he kept it bottled down, and again, was that all World War Two? Probably not, because I'm sure great-granddad came back from World War One. Mm-hmm. You know, which I've heard as well. You know, so this is the thing. It's it's an acknowledgement. It, it goes back generation generation. I mean, now you are at the Civil War, and you know, I mean, you just yeah. you, it's done Trauma, exactly, and that's a huge, huge thing that I'm at. My second book is going to be you know bringing that subject into the field, but good. Um, but yes, yeah, so if we're not talking about looking at that, and here's the irony to me, whatever religion you subscribe to, outside of maybe Satanism and some of these obscure ones, I'm pretty sure kindness, compassion, gratitude are at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Yet we have people that walk out of these buildings proud as punch on a Sunday morning, for example, not picking on one particular religion. Have their breakfast at whatever cafe and continue being fucking assholes for the next mm-hmm. six and a half days, six, six and a half days, <laughs> ready slip, maybe. um but maybe. and this is it. We need to you we need to refine the community, the kindness, the compassion that these these doctrines that have lasted thousands of years teach us. This right. ancient wisdom is imperative, that tribalism, that community, that it takes a village mentality. And this is what we need to refine. But to be fair to at least the American people, through my eyes, the last eight years, they've done nothing but fucking divide this country. Well, you're Mm -hmm. this and you're that. You like vaccines. You like Chinese conspiracies. You know, you like the police. You feel oppressed by the police. And it's just paint and pigeonhole, paint and pigeonhole. One of my guests recently made a great analogy. He said, imagine you're you're in medieval England. And you're looking over the castle walls and you've got the villagers to fight amongst themselves. Where are they not looking? Yeah. At the castle. A thousand This percent. is what's happened. You know what I mean? So we can't be a community of 350 Amer- a million Americans. It's too big of a size. Mm-hmm. But you can be a community in the street, your CrossFit gym, your jujitsu school, your church, your whatever. That is what we've got to refine. But there's also this... Kids today, participation trophies, fucking wanky, Mm. usually spouted by guys that don't walk the fucking walk anyway, Mm -hmm. rather than let me take care of the things between my four walls. Mm -hmm. And then if I've managed to get my home collectively in a good place, let me walk outside my front door and figure out how I can affect positively someone in my community. Maybe I'm a coach. Maybe I'm a math teacher. Maybe I'm a dog walker, whatever. What can I do to make the world a little better? If every fucking one of us did that, it doesn't matter what the dipshits in the blue tie or the red tie are yapping about. Mm-hmm. That's how you change the country. And that's how we move forward.
0: And I'm I'm optimistic that that's possible. I think right now there is these camps are are, are thrusting each other at each other, but they're not. I think at the, at the top, they're fully aware of what they're doing, but I think subconsciously the individuals that just scroll on social media and watch the news and subscribe to a camp, they they're so quick to just be like, yep, this is what I believe in. Like, I'll give you a great example. I was on this trip recently. I was in, I was in Europe and in this kind of type of trip, it's like, you're in a group, right? So there was 11 of us and within the first five minutes of being on this bus, an individual looks at me and goes, and not knowing me or my mother-in-law from Adam, these are all an American group, and then we're the two Canadians, okay? We're sitting there and goes, I just in advance want to apologize on behalf of Fox News and Donald Trump for our idiocy in our country. And them not knowing me from a hole in the wall, my mother-in-law immediately slaps me in the leg and goes, not a word. because the week before I was just on Fox news and I'm not saying I'm this fucking right-wing person by any means by definition if you look at me i'm technically kind of borderline a little i'm like i sit pretty in the middle on things so you sit with
1: oh i would say 80 percent of the population there.
0: absolutely absolutely i I believe in your right to choose i believe in having gun rights i believe you know what i mean like i can't look at one camp and go yep and yep like there's just it's just not reality to me because I'm not a separatist i don't believe in these things mm. but my point was this individual thought it was advantageous at that moment to a group of strangers just because what we're white women from canada that we're going to lean towards this I, this rhetoric and we're going to be like oh yeah fuck trump What are you talking about? The assumptions. It's the assumptions that blow my mind. Those assumptions put people in these boxes and these boxes separate us from what it means to have a conversation. And right then and there, that already put a damper on the situation. Because at what point am I going to turn around and go, well, I served in the army. And when I served in the army, this is one of the things that we did or do, or these are the people I associate with. So because I associate with a more militarized, section of the world, does that make me right wing? Well, according to them, it does, right? Because I believe in you know war and all these things, which I don't, and I don't think anybody who's ever been to war truly will ever advocate for it again. So my point is, is there's this idea that if you're on the left or on the right, most of these people are baked into these thoughts so much so that they think because I look a certain way, or maybe speak a certain way, I automatically agree with you on that. I'm not saying we have to agree on everything, but this idea that we have to be one way or the other is the thing that just, it it, it drives me nuts because this happens from watching the news. This happens from the slow drip generation that never misses a five o'clock episode who watches it from five to 8 PM or seven to 10 PM. And they live by this rhetoric, this, this eat sleep and breathe what that anchor on that station has to say. And because of that, they act that way. They go out into the communities and they treat people based on that. For example, Canada's trying to reinstitute masks. I say, go fuck yourself. Most people who live in this bubble will put them back on blindly. And so I'm guilty of this, even myself. When I see you with a mask on, I cringe and I go, you're the fucking problem. But it's not true, is it? That's not true. They're either fearful. They don't know any different. They don't understand the science. And so I catch myself doing that in that judgment moment and go, no, 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 no. That's not acceptable. Maybe there's something else going on that I don't understand or that they don't understand the repercussions mm-hmm. of doing that. And it takes, it's hard to do that. It's hard to sit back and go, oh, maybe that wasn't cool. Or maybe that thought of mine wasn't, wasn't helpful or or pro- proactive in any way, shape or form. But none of us do that, right? The majority of the people will see the mask and go, fuck that person. And that'll be the last thought about it. Which- I. Didn't... I just don't understand how we get people to see that these thoughts, this division is not the path forward in any way.
1: Well, I, so I interviewed a guy, Larry Doyle, a year ago, almost to the day. And this, the reason I know exactly when it was is a hurricane Ian obliterated mm. his home a few shorts hours after and B, yeah. during that interview. My German shepherd, my beloved Nini died. I took her to a kennel, did the interview. A bunch of missed calls and oh, Jesus, you know, got James. a heartbreaking voicemail at the end of it but larry was revered when journalism was still journalism yeah. and to give you a kind of to illustrate what an amazing man he was or is but i mean in, in the journalism world when uh, nelson mandela got out of robin island he was the first one to interview him wow so you know we're talking about a real journalist and uh i asked larry amazing story amazing life story I asked him how the fuck do we get here Mm -hmm. and he said in the 70s and 80s the news stations you know the the corporations that owned the news stations had other companies that made the money so the news stations just told the news which is what i grew up with in bbc i mean i I would still to this day it may not be perfect but you kind of get the news on the bbc not Mm -hmm. opinions and all that stuff usually so he said there was so, I forget exactly what it was, but there was a shift and they were like, all right, now we need to start making money from the news. And that's when you started getting the clickbait news stories. And so, you know, you see it, whether it's the Pulse shoot in here in Orlando or 9-11 or whatever, 24 hour coverage. And, you know, don't get me started on the fucking COVID coverage. It's another entire thing. So I don't see any tickers no. on uh, obesity deaths or cancer deaths or fentanyl no. deaths these days. That's but offensive.
0: You have to be body positive now. James, get together. <laughs>
1: So same exact formula. Fast forward to 2023 screen divided into four, four fucking assholes or arguing with each other. And I'm talking about Fox and CNN, same exact fucking blueprint Mm -hmm. just to get people angry Mm -hmm. so they can sell advertising space. Mm -hmm. So this was never about the news. It was about money and money alone. So the sooner that we all understand that the way we choose our politicians is not a democracy. It's a demistocracy. You got to really? be a millionaire and have zero fucking ethics to participate. And that our news is nothing more than a money making machine, more mm-hmm. often than not for drug companies. Mm-hmm. And we disassemble those two. Imagine the fucking hooks that would ding out of all the people that have got them when they just pulled the, the wizard's curtain back in a way that people actually understood that they've been hoodwinked for nothing more than money and power all the fucking deaths we've had from all the things have just been so a few short a few people can make a lot of money the irony is and i'll credit um said guru from when he was on joe rogan's podcast he made a passing comment joe said yeah but the drug companies and he was like yeah but they i forget what he's saying but you know the the compassion needs to go to them too and i realized the mental health crisis extends to these politicians these corporate Mm -hmm. you know Heads of corporation, because the only way that Kelsey or James could go to sleep at night knowing that Oxycontin or cigarettes or fucking Big Macs are killing hundreds of thousands of people is if you're a fucking sociopath. So this mm-hmm. is what we need to do as well, is look at these ones that drive us up the wall and realize they don't belong in D.C. Mm-hmm. They belong in a fucking institution until we can get their head straight and they can be mm-hmm. a kind person again. So this is the problem, kind of like the fire service from the politician down to the the probationary firefighter. We've got to address it at every single level.
0: I, I heard someone recently talk about this, about how the, uh, I think it was on Rogan again, the slow drip of, they were talking about, excuse me, the USSR and this idea, ideology that they're going to just unleash and let Kind of be a mind virus, and you're seeing it. You're seeing this Marxist idea of life and this socialistic way of through the universities, and you're seeing these people be taught. This next generation, I'm I'm genuinely very afraid for. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I do lose sleep a, a little bit at night when I think about these high school college age individuals going through these programs because I see it in elementary schools in Canada with SOGI. I'm not sure if you're aware of the nationwide protest that happened last week with the individuals um, that were quite, we were literally protesting across the country and all that we were asking was very clearly take the sexual ideology and brainwashing out of our schools like it's not we're not asking for much and the prime minister as well as the entire school board and legislation reached out and i have the email which went to my son's school board stated that we were all a hate group we were this was muslims and christians and black people and you name it just standing there with signs like just leave our kids alone just leave our kids alone. Teach math and science and economics. Just teach what you need to be teaching and shut the fuck up about your sexual ideology. I don't care what you do on the weekends. I don't care how many rainbows you have. Leave my fucking kids alone. This idea that we're going to fix these people and that this, that this way of life is just going to do an about face is a genuine concern of mine for this next generation because you say, yes, let's show them that this was planted. Let's show them that the money, you know, if if this is a money-making machine and they're using you to make money. Here's the thing, man. Thing about brainwashing is at a certain point, you can show them all the evidence you want. You can go, look, man, look at all this. I can prove it to you. I can prove it. I can prove it to you with science, with your own science, with your own empirical data. At a certain point, man, the brain just goes, nope, this is where I stick. And I think part of the problem is during COVID and post-COVID, so many people are at that point that whether or not we literally sit them down and show them it's not going to matter anymore. And I don't know how to move from that position. I'm not sure how to move from that position because I have literally sat down with people before and shown them data around everything from hormone intervention in in adolescence and the long-term damage it will do to you later on in life about child sex changes and the body mutilation and your inability to climax as an adult. I've literally sat people down and shown them empirical data and they still go, no, you're wrong. So I don't know how, because there's always going to be a subset of people in my mind that are just, no matter what you do, no matter what you show them, that switch is flipped just like it you. did, just like it did, right? In in places like China, where people sit there and clap in North Korea, where everyone claps as he goes by because they know if they don't clap and they're not happy enough that they're going to be put in a concentration camp their whole family's going to be killed. Do you know what I mean? I feel like we're fucking at this point though, man.
1: My, I'm an incurable optimist. And I, I mean, I know, to me, I the, the thing this. keeps me going is what's the alternative that we don't? Right. So right. fuck that. So... You, I'm sure, have had the same as me. You have guests that most of whom are in that middle eighty percent. Some of them mm-hmm. are kind of, you know, there's a toe in the ten either side. Yeah, and, yeah, But what I do is I start in the middle, right? You know, the most human commonalities that we have, and
0: mm-hmm. then
1: you know, occasionally they're like, oh, going that way, and like, okay, let's come away from you saying that all Muslims or whatever or you know, <laughs> what you know, all police or whatever. Just come back to you know, from Crazy Town. Let's go in the middle, but that's where you start yeah and i think there's a lot more of us in the middle than people realize Mm -hmm. it's important that the small percentage of young boys and girls who think that one day they're trapped in the wrong body and maybe one day they'll think about transition surgery to have the support and the mental health counseling and everything Right. but is that the majority of the population no but what is affecting the majority of the population we're 70 percent obese and overweight in america we have a mental health crisis which kills everyone you know good you know it's universal it's it's an inclusive disease just to let you all know Mm. to be happy about it'll kill you whether you're trans black muslim you know whatever a polka dot and this is what we should be talking about the big things absolutely you know the people that are in these very small sections should have the support they need, but it shouldn't become politicized. Right. But I do believe that 90% of what we hear is from these two slithers of extremist fucking nutbags that manage to grab the mic over wow. and over and over again. So I think that the way we move forward is we re- we we refine the middle group and then at, they they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is where... That is where we make the change, because you are someone who's transgender, who lost their best friend or or a loved one to an opioid overdose or suicide. Do they care about that? It doesn't matter what genitalia they no. want. They fucking care about that. Right. That is where you pull people together. And which is why, you know, I mean, the last three years, what an amazing opportunity to unite a country. And both sides chose to divide it further. You know what I mean? So this is the issue until we... And again, it's not waiting for some fucking Messiah to get in some government building at the family level and the community level. We start pulling each other together. We're going to look around and we are going to make a difference. And I really feel optimistically that we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift because oh, yes. of the lunacy of the last three. I mean, like you said, three years ago, masks, most people be like, "Whoa, we're not really sure what this is. Um, okay, we'll wear masks for a bit. Now, I would argue 90% would be like, you can shove that mask up your fucking ass and Mm -hmm. then you follow it with your vaccine, Mm -hmm. you know, because now we know and people are like, you know, coming from a truly altruistic place at the beginning. And then at the end, they're like, but you didn't tell us the truth about all this stuff. So now I would argue they've been shifted. So to me, the only way that we can really Stop that from happening is start with the normal people in the middle and then mm. try and expand out. And before you know it, the majority will be there where, you know, the common sense lies. And it's not saying, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm all for the insurrection. That's where the fucking common sense lies. No, it isn't. You're one of the yeah. nutbags over there. We're talking about in the middle where we want our kids to be educated, have real food in their schools, PE, music, arts. Have a an experience that will set them up to be a kind, compassionate, driven, you know, young man or young woman when they get older. So to me, we got to find our true north in the middle.
0: And I think that there's a way to get there. I think the reason I get so fired up and so irritated is because, I mean, like me, you have children, and and you understand that children are malleable, and they are supposed to be the next generation. Well, this next generation, we've set up for failure. We've shown them that the way that you move forward is through anger and yelling and kicking and screaming. And if you're not getting you what you want, we're going to protest and burn your whole fucking city down. I mean, not Canada, because we can hold ourselves together. No offense. But, you know, I've just watched, I've watched this rhetoric and it's it's been concerning on several levels. But when you start to blanket call parents who are literally from every walk of life a hate group, I mean, when you start to openly say things like that and celebrate nazis and you literally start to slide backwards it is a concern that yes things i can be optimistic because i do see the pendulum shift i do see the swing happen because i mean look at this soji started in 2018 nobody batted an eye nobody said a word until their children started coming home with documents on how to masturbate in kindergarten and hide it from their parents in British Columbia, right? You mm-hmm. know, you, these things have to come to light. It's going to take time. But in that time frame, children were damaged. Mindsets were broken. But we've changed laws and rules in the country that I live that you can't even ask what happened as a child because it is not affirmation and you will be charged with a hate crime. If James, if I don't call you, he or him, you can charge me with a hate crime under the Criminal Code of Canada. You know, that's what I'm saying is some of this stuff, it's hard to be optimistic because... It's written into law now,
1: Hmm. right?
0: These things are not easy to change once that happens. That's a concern to me when you start to legislate things, just like in America, the way you guys have legislated and changed a lot of the laws. You guys have a federal capacity to do that, but you have a state that can block it. We don't have anybody in Canada that will stand up to the federal except for in Alberta, which it's the Texas of Canada. Let's, Let's be honest with ourselves. So- you know, you have these things. I'm, I'm, I am optimistic and it doesn't sound like it, but I truly am because I think that it takes, it takes people, you have to be optimistic or, or what are we doing? What are we doing all of this for? What is the point? What is the point of the protests? And what is the point of speaking out and the podcasting? If you're, if you're not optimistic, You know, it's
1: about hope. It's the same with the mental health conversation. Right. If you're just saying, oh, you can probably deal with it ish, your five mile an hour bike ride, that's not hope. But if you can say, my friend Chad, who's Mm -hmm. a real person, who was a Green Beret qualified, never actually got out because his alcoholism, you know, grabbed him again, childhood sexual abuse, and then became a firefighter about 10 years, was clean. And then kind of hit a plateau. And then when I knew him, he was a coach at our gym. I watched the decline. I went to his house and he literally told me, all right, I'm gonna try rehab one more time. And if it doesn't work, right. I'm done. Yeah. Something shifted. Hopefully yeah. the, the cumulative element of all the human beings that have been with him at that point where he found hope. Now mm-hmm. he's three, four years sober, runs a CrossFit group called Recovery RX that you know addicts get together you know, recovered addicts or recovering um, and work out every Sunday in the Jacksonville. No, where is he? St. Augustine area. Um, that's hope. You look at mm-hmm. Chad and you're like, well, fuck me. If Chad can get through his alcoholism, so can right. I. And I think it's the same with this. And the irony is. Just like with the fire service, you don't need to innovate, For most of the problems that we have, you simply go back to the way we lived 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. You don't spray your food in chemicals. You know, you don't buy them in in packets. The kids run around. We walk and cycle lots of places. The air is clean. The earth is fertile. If we just reverse engineer the damage from the the negative side of of, um, technology and keep the CT scans and, you know, the things that are really awesome, Mm -hmm. anesthesia, kind of like surgery when I'm not awake, it's kind of a yep. you know cool thing, huh. then we can move forward. So this is it. It's just getting people together and things like this, this amazing medium that is podcasts, for example, where there's no filters, you and I get to have a conversation. If someone chooses to listen, mm-hmm. which is also awesome, they can hit play in their car, mow in the yard, whatever, and go, huh, I'd never thought of it that way because I listened to them talk for an hour and a half rather mm-hmm. than a 60 second bullshit click bite, you know, whatever on Fox or CNN or whatever wanky poor excuse for a news channel is out there. And now you get to tell the whole story and you sow seeds. And if there's enough seeds sown, mm-hmm. parents will get together and go, you know, unite and go. The whole school doesn't want this thing. I'm mm-hmm. all for sexuality. I think America It's so funny because for the longest time we've been so far the other way. Mm -hmm. John Rambo can murder 400 Viet Cong on the screens of America, but they blur out a nipple. God forbid that shows. You know what I mean? Now we're all the way this other thing. We're like, yeah, we'll cut everyone's bits off and they can be whatever they want. So again, middle of the ground, middle of the road, the body is a beautiful thing. Age appropriate sex education is important, but you can't go one extreme to the other. And this again illustrates my point. The normal people in the middle. I don't want my child learning about sex at 16, fumbling around with the condom and then throwing it away because he can't figure it out. And then he gets someone pregnant. You know what I mean? I want my kid and I have taught him. He's a, he's a boy. So we have, you know, male conversations age appropriate for the last few years. And he's 16 now. I learned <laughs> from a, a, a classroom, even though my dad was a vet and I realized that animals have sex, but they told me you pray to God and he puts a baby in your tummy. I'm sitting there 12 years old going, so it's like sheep fucking. And then I'm like, okay, now I get it. You know what I mean? I don't want that either. So there's a happy medium. Yeah. But those extreme cases, let the people, let those families have those in their personal conversations. That is not a political stance. So again, I don't even know where where I ended up circling around, but I think these conversations are extremely important because if you can listen to someone. With no real skin in the game, other than just trying to bring a solution to a problem, have a long form conversation and educate people on the entire backstory. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not an expert in anything, but I'm somewhat well versed now in, you know, physical and mental health and the fire service and the, you know, our elements of our job that kill us. You know, you listen to hundreds of guests that I have on my show talking about all kinds of things eventually you're like, huh, this sleep deprivation seems to be a thing, doesn't it? And then you mm-hmm. start researching it. And then you go, I think we should change the shifts, you know? So yeah. I think this is how we fix it. We turn off cable television. You know, you don't look at your fucking social media unless you've got it groomed for nothing but positivity and fitness and nutrition. And then you just start finding, you know, educating yourself. I've been a student for now for seven years on this podcast. I've normally obviously i know i'm the guest here but usually i try and shut the fuck up and let the people just teach me and ask questions that people listening would want answered. um and that is it i think we we need to go from this look at me insta famous bullshit back to you know what can i what can i do to be part of the puzzle part of the tapestry that is my community
0: yeah i think that's incredibly well said and i think andy stump would echo your sentiment shut the fuck up kelsey <laughs> as he says to me often. Um, but it's true when you you become a student, when you do shows like this, the amount of things that you've learned, the amount of things that you've been exposed to, the amount of uh, ideology, left, right, centrist, these things happen from conversation, right? And people would say, well, there's a million podcasts out there. Yeah, but do you understand that the percentage dwindles by episode five, by episode 20, by episode 100, Now you're talking, you're in the top 2%. Talk about hundreds, talk about almost cracking a 1,000 to where you're at with Behind the Shield. You're in top 1%. The people that want to do these types of professions, talk on these podcasts, put themselves out there where they can think, talk and think. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, do you ever have these moments where you start a sentence and you start to think about the question and it's not that your idea changes but it morphs into this other sort of thing because maybe you've never thought about it before that way.
1: Yes, and also my favorite thing, you probably have this too as a host, is someone goes, I've never thought of it that way before. And it's not oh, like you've brought some amazing thing, but you've maybe combined their love for whatever when they were 12 and their you know, dev grew sniper role. And, the, and you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's these synapses that start joining, which is beautiful to watch.
0: It's my favorite thing in the whole world. I think that's partially why I do this because let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, why else do we do this? Why else do we sit across from people and and ask their opinions on things? You want to learn. You become a student of life. And and I think that's the beautiful thing about podcasting is you become a student of life. You become a student every single time somebody sits down with you. It's not like a university where you pay to go into this thing to learn a topic you thought you wanted to know about. Most of the time you talk to someone and it's uh, conversations go completely and then you just go well i didn't need those notes we're we're on a different thing now you know mm-hmm. it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to be able to do um i'm not sure how much longer in canada i'll be allowed to do it but until i'm told no i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and then i'm gonna move to where i can continue to do it and i know that you will as well i want to talk a little bit about why you started this podcast because you are well over 800 episodes in you do them constantly and you do them in a way that is so different than anybody else I've ever heard do man you put this isn't like uh pretend for you you put everything into your episodes man and you can feel it
1: the origin story is just a bunch of funerals I and mean, it's that simple I mean you you work as a firefighter and you see all kinds of death and destruction and you know it's heartbreaking but you're kind of in that mode you know you and then every we all have those calls that are a little harder you know the children and usually for people it's multiple casualties, which I haven't had many of those to be fair. But I mean the kid I had a God, a couple of shitty weeks where it was almost nothing but kid deaths and, you know, that 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 blows. But when I got about 10 years into my career, we had a couple years where I buried six firefighters that I knew. That's just the ones I knew. And we had a whole bunch. We had a suicide uh, chief Dangerfield who left a Facebook post right before he went and took his own life. And the irony is one of my friends, Dustin, who was episode 39, was the first person to really, truly bare his soul on my show. Um, he had navigated his way out of his own suicide attempt. And his friend had written his suicide note on the back of Dustin's suicide note. You know what I mean? So oh, you talk about God. a blow. But anyway, so we, I'm seeing this. And I have a background as an athlete, as a coach, as an exercise physiology major. And so... I know enough to know that there's answers out there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you have it in your experience in the Canadian military specifically, but in the fire service, if I want to be a peer fitness trainer, I go and do a kind of wanky five day course and I come back as the fitness guru. If I want to be a mental health expert, and again, I'm not diminishing this, anyone who steps up and is trying to be part of the solution is admirable. But You don't go anywhere for a week and come back as an expert. So what I realized is, you know, I I even heard a couple of podcasts of people that were supposed to be, you know, the fitness person. And I'm like, you can't even answer the most basic questions. And I'm a fucking idiot and I know the answer to that. So that was the thing was to really find the world's experts, whether it was mental health, nutrition, training, mobility, you know, overcoming back injury, you name it, anything that people were suffering from. And then a lot of people with stories, you know, a lot of firefighters and members of the military that have got those inspiring, hope-filled stories that would get people to go, I'm not alone and I'm not a pussy. Mm -hmm. If that Navy SEAL was in tears on behind the shield talking about what he went through, then maybe I can cry. Maybe I can ask for help. So that was really it. And it just, it morphed, you know, as it... You know, I listened to Tim, Tim Ferriss talking about starting one. He's like, if you if you make six, then you have a podcast. Mm. And then, you know, you get to 100 or whatever year benchmark. And then another big pivotal thing for my podcast was come COVID, standing there in the middle, you know, it's kind of lonely in the middle All of a sudden. Where's everyone gone? Mm-hmm. Um, And then I'm watching the bullshit that is being put out. And I'm like, fuck this. People mm-hmm. are in their homes now. And I was doing, so I did once a week for a very short time. Seven years ago, people returned emails. So I got a lot of yeses. Now it's like, it's almost a waste of time sending an email these days. But mm-hmm. then I, so I went to two because I had so many guests. I had two a week for a while while I was on shift still. And then uh, I transitioned out the fire service by that point to, to make a difference from the outside. Um, and uh, so I'm just listening to this absolute bollocks this this. You know, stay at home, order fast food and alcohol to your house, watch Tiger King, we'll tell you when you can come out. And I'm like, Mm. You've just taken all autonomy from people. So I'm gonna put even more fucking information out. So I added an extra episode. So that was three two plus hour conversations a week. But the way I look at the podcast is it's a library. You know, someone can message me from the poll, hey, you know, I'm a I'm a Gurkha or I'm a you know a Sherpa. Um, you know, and I've been struggling with addiction can you help me i'm like absolutely you know you speak english you have wi-fi here's here's three episodes let's start with that and then let me know you know where we can go from here Mm -hmm. this is what i want it to be i don't have any patreon vip access anything everything that i do aside from the book itself which is the only thing that (laughs) has a price tag on it um everything is free free um open source you know because I just want people to have access to the solution. I just came across a thing recently, Newcom. If, mm-hmm. if you've never heard of that, look into that. N-U-C-A-L-M. Jim Pool is episode eight hundred and six. Game changing when yeah. it comes to um certainly, you know, deregulation of the nervous system. They got down regulation um, element to it. They got up regulation. So, I mean, again, now that's hopefully going to change a bunch of people. All you're doing is you're just connecting the person in need with the person with the answer. That's it. So that's why there's passion, because I still go to funerals. I did a, every year I do a fundraising fitness competition called the 343 Hero Challenge. And on my book, it's not even my face because, you know, I don't like showing my face very much, but it's the, the names on my back first year nine years ago i did it i had six names i did it again two weeks ago and i think it was 92 Jesus names christ so people Jeez. ask me why i'm passionate it's like well until that fucking list stops growing exponentially then you know my flame's never gonna go out so that's that's why you hear passion and anger and frustration sometimes because every single one of those names is a heartbroken family so
0: Oh, James, you got me there. Oh. You're a very selfless human, you know?
1: I think most people listening are. And this is the thing. We we need to be the voice. You know, if you, if you put on a uniform, and this is the irony with the mental health thing, you know, a lot of guys end up thinking that they're a kind of two-dimensional manly man. It was kindness and compassion that sent you into this role. And so some of the most amazing human beings I know of all in uniform. And I think that the more of us that speak up, not angrily, but through our experience, through our courageous vulnerability um, and inspire other people to be selfless and servants. I think that's a big part of this equation too, which is why, you know, what you do is awesome. I mean, you provide a platform for people to hear of all the guests that you've had.
0: I think the difference between you and I is you're really good at providing tools and I yell a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's symbiotic though. We need a little bit of both. <laughs>
0: Something like that. I, there's a lot of you. I wish I had more of. And um, I, I say this. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's because of people like you. I sit amongst. I sit on top of shoulders of people like you because I'm able to do this job because of people like you. They give me your time. I learn so much every single time I sit down with someone like you do. I see differences and in, in others that I would never have seen if I wasn't sitting across from them or having these conversations with them. And you open the eyes of a lot of people by providing the tools and being as selfless as you are and not seeing this as a, a huge money-making opportunity or way to grow your life or change or become famous. Like you really do this from the most selfless point. You might be one of the most selfless podcasters I've ever had the privilege of, of having on the show or even knowing in general.
1: Well, like I said, I think this community is made predominantly of awesome people. And I think anyone, anyone that goes into a podcast is facing to make money, you know, good luck with that. But I mean, some people do eventually, but I think most of us simply just want to make the world better, you know, and some of us are great at making documentaries or writing books or, you know. Whatever it is. But uh, I think this community, which I would say, you know, this community, people like yourself and for people listening, if they haven't heard Kelsey on my show, listen, because it's, it's awesome when I got you the other way around to, to hear you tell your story. But yeah, I mean, this is they say you're the sum total of the five people closest to you. I had some pretty fucking awesome people around me in the fire service, but the people I have on my Rolodex now that include my close friends from the fire service. I just help, and we're helping a firefighter friend of mine now who's really, really struggling. And it was uh, Ryan Parrott, one of my Navy SEAL friends that stepped up without a fucking beat. And we've got him going to get treatment uh, this Sunday. So that's this is what I'm talking about.
0: That's um, that's really beautiful. Actually, I got somebody I got to talk to you about after this. Um, so don't let me forget, please. Um, man, I just... Uh... I'm going to have you back on and I want to just, I think the great thing about you is you have this incredible life and this incredible story as to why you do what you do. And most people do, but you don't, nobody hears you talk about you often. Like, I love that you're such a good guest. You're so much better than me at that because you, you let people just throw everything at you, but that takes a toll that has a weight. It has its, it has a way of breaking people down over time when you're constantly listening to these stories. And so, I do hope that you are looking after yourself and I do hope that you find a way to, to move through these emotions because I don't know about you, but I sit across from people and sometimes it's just like, at the end of it, man.
1: It's you you, you have to really, I think, I mean, you probably had the same, you go through this journey and I've had times I remember my wife was home one weekend and we were in the shower. And I just started sobbing and yeah. she starts kind of crying. She's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I literally don't know. And obviously it was taken on too much. And I talk about um the Green Mile in the book because I love that as an analogy. You know, whether you're a soldier or a first responder, I'm sorry, you're um yes. you're taking on people's pain. Yeah. But there's only so much you can take. And there's that other beautiful illustration That's I mean a uh, animation that's gone around social media of the guy that's almost full with black and then he comes home and his dog comes to him. And he hugs mm-hmm. the dog and the dog takes, you know, the black it's, yeah. it's that it's the longer I've done this, the more I, the more aware I am of when it's time to hit the pause button. And mm-hmm. I will, you know, sometimes, as you know, things happening, like, okay, I'm going to have to delay it a few days, but I, I know you're there. So, but I do lean into a lot of the, you know, meditation breath work. This new calm is, is amazing. Um, community. I just spent three hours doing jujitsu today, an extra two classes back to back. So i might like, I fucking need to, yeah. I need to get Chug murdered. Some people. And to, <laughs> yeah. And I need to just be around people, you know, and yeah. not think so. Absolutely. I agree with you, whether you're a counselor, a peer support person, you know, a podcaster, a good friend to someone you do have to, you know, I mean, the, that analogy is overused, but it's so true The the airplane, you know, you've got to sometimes grab your mask before you help other people. So I agree hundred percent.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad you're looking after yourself. That's all I ask of you is because you, I think you're going to stand the test of time. And I think all of your episodes are going to be uh, profoundly useful at, the longer we go down this path uh, through this crazy world of ours. So where can people support you? Where can they find behind the shield? How can they get a hold of you if they want to be a guest on your show? And more importantly, how do they just support James?
1: I mean, I always tell people, let me grab my books.
0: Yeah. Really,
1: oh shit, really bad at promoting. But, I don't um, even
0: know how I don't have a copy of your book. I need to, I'm going to order one today.
1: Well, we need to, uh, we'll just be in the same place. I'm actually going to be in um, Kelowna, Kelowna,
0: Kelowna, Kelowna
1: in a couple yeah. of weeks. I don't know if that's anywhere near you or not. but It is.
0: It's a, it's only a few hour drive for me.
1: Okay. So I'm going to be down there with a, a retreat, one of my Canadian firefighter friends is putting on, so no I will be there. So I don't know if there's any way we can figure out being there, but if it's here. uh one more light. Is the name of the book, and I absolutely stole that from that beautiful Lincoln Park song, because yeah, but... this you know who cares? Who cares if one more light in this? Who cares if one more light goes out in the sky of shining stars? I think I've got that right. Or stars, sky of a million stars. But anyway. Every single life matters, which is why that whole "what insert this life matters" like no, we all do. And the moment that we label ourselves, we've lost that entire thing. But so yes, yeah, so you can get that from Amazon. It's on audiobook. Josh Brolin actually wrote the forward, um, which is funny because in the audiobook you've got Josh Brolin's voice, probably one of the best voices in Hollywood, and then you've got my squeaky ass voice reading the rest <laughs> of the book. So, <laughs> but um, so you can find that um. Behind the Shield is is pretty. much I think it's Behind the Shield nine one one on Instagram. That's the mm-hmm. main one I use. I have almost no luck with Facebook and SpaceX or whatever the fuck it's called now. <laughs> um, and then uh you can find the podcast and all the apps. But I've, I don't know if you realize this yet. The iTunes, Spotify, they only hold five hundred. So to get the older ones. You have to go to either my website, which is JamesGearing.com, or SoundCloud is where I host. So you can find every single one on there. So if you if you want one that's pre 300 ish then um go to the website. And I've actually got a search feature now too that I added. So if you go to the podcast Perfect. tab and you want to learn about sleep, just type in sleep. Give it a moment because there's a lot of episodes in there. So it takes a few seconds, but it will pull up all the things that you want. You put in Navy SEAL, you put in back injury, whatever, that will pull up, you know, hours and hours and hours of of solutions. So,
0: Dude, you're such a gem, man. <laughs> you really are. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll put everything in the show notes. This will not be the last time you're on. We'll come up with a couple topics and we'll have you back on and we'll rant again together, my friend.
1: Absolutely. It's been, it's been amazing. We'll obviously do a second one with you on mine as well.
0: Yeah. Whenever you want, dude, I'm always, I'm always here for you. Thank you so much uh, for just humanity from humanity, for just showing up and being exactly what you preach, which is the person that is there to help support each other, but also the person who gives the tools and you are the definition of a true leader in this space. And I appreciate you. And that being said, everyone else go give him a follow, go give his Instagram a follow. It It's not just about his podcast. I got to tell you, you post really great reels. Really positive stuff, really uplifting things about that it just happens in the world, and most of the time that's where I see the most positive things. That's all my social media comes from from behind the shield nine one one. So thank you for doing that, and uh, we'll put everything in the show notes. Everyone else, you stick with me. We'll see y'all next week. You're always.